Welcome to the New Life Bible Fellowship Podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community that enjoys God and transforms the world through the gospel. We hope these weekly messages inspire you, invite you to experience the greatness of God, and empower you to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We're grateful you're listening. Enjoy the message. I want to start with a question this morning, and that is, if you were to rank yourself on a scale of one to 10 of goodness. And, and let's say the scale is, is one to 10 with 10 being really, really good. And, and one, let's say that's really, really evil. Where on a scale of one to 10 would you rank yourself? Think, think through a number, like where, where would you place yourself on that scale. If you're a typical human being, it doesn't matter if you're in America, if you're in Europe, if you're in Africa, regardless of what continent you are on, the average human being answers that question between six and seven. Between six and seven, somewhere in there. Like, not high enough to be arrogant, you know, well, I'm a 10 out of 10, but not evil. Like, I'm not, 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 not there. I just took a, a, a test of this. There's a website called DR Labs that has an ongoing survey of a measurement of, of goodness, a self-measurement of goodness. And you go on and you, you answer like 25 questions and it tells you. The one thing with this study is it's translated into 14 lang- 15 languages uh, across the world. And so it's the largest modern study of its kind. And he, my results, in fact... Um, so I'm really good. I, I'm 85% good, which is important because I was the one ranking myself, actually. And uh, this has, so good evil scale, and then it has lawful chaotic, actually. And, and it put me just like in the middle, a little towards chaotic, which I think essentially means I am respectful of laws if they make sense to me <laughs> is, is kind of what that, that means in general. Would it change where you rank yourself if, if we pulled back and said, okay, let's, let's ask Mother Teresa. Now, I, I know she's passed away, but let, let's ask Mother Teresa where she would rank herself, and I don't know where she would, but, but let's say Mother Teresa said, well, I'm, I'm a two. Would that affect where you would put yourself on that scale? Or... What if we ask Jesus? Jesus, where would you put yourself on a scale of goodness between one and 10? And we don't really have to guess at what Jesus's answer would be because he had this, he had this conversation, he had this question with a rich young ruler who came up to him asking about eternal life. And in that question, Jesus Jesus drove right down into the identity of a human being. Are are we good or are we evil? Are are, are we good or are we sinful? So let's go to that passage. It's in all three gospels, synoptic gospels, but we're going to go to Mark and read. This is in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, as Jesus was Setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, 
Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, a couple of questions in this passage. So, so when, this, when this man walks up to Jesus and, and kneels down before Jesus, bows down before Jesus, he kneels there, and then he says, good teacher. It's a remarkable statement of saying good teacher because that would not have been even appropriate in Hebrew culture. Nowhere in all of Jewish writings is any rabbi referred to as good. That's, that's a title reserved for God. All through scripture, the, the goodness of God is reflected on. In First Chronicles, we read these words. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And that, that, that quote you'll see repeated multiple times all through the Old Testament, especially. Oh, oh, give thanks to the Lord. And that's not just some kind of uh, extra pause at the beginning of the verse. It's awe. It's wonder. It's gazing into the radiance and glory and goodness of God and saying, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He is good. That exact passage is repeated in Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm, Psalm 43 kind of reworks this. Taste and see that the Lord is, is good. So God is good. And this man runs up to Jesus, kneels down before him, and then uses the title good for Jesus. And we don't know, was this, was this respect or was this flattery? Was he coming up to Jesus using flattery to kind of butter him up or, or, or was it respect? And it doesn't change the passage much. We don't, we don't know. But we have Jesus' answer. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except the Father. Now, when Jesus answered this way, some, some would say that Jesus is, is twisting it to highlight his deity, to say, well, why do you call me good? good. Because only, only the Father is good. No one is good except for the Father. So do you know that I'm God? Is that why you have called me good? Some people refer to it that way because Jesus would certainly not call himself not good. But that doesn't fit the passage. It doesn't even fit the lesson that he needs to teach this ruler when Jesus says, why do you call me good? He is acknowledging that as a human being, separate from God, he's not good. The only goodness he has comes from the Father. There's an umbilical cord of life between he and the Father. 
And as a human being, the only goodness he has comes from the Father to him. He, he acknowledges that same truth in a number of different ways through the Gospels. In John, he says this. So Jesus said to them, this is in chapter five, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. So Jesus says, I I only do that which I see the father doing because he is good. I only say the things the Father says to me because he is good. The life I have comes from the Father. And in this, Jesus teaches a profoundly significant truth that human beings on their own, apart from God, are not good. Human beings apart from God on their own are evil, wretched, Vile, sinful. Like every ounce of our beings crawls against those kinds of statements. No, no, like that, that's too strong. Vile, wretched, God alone is good. Now we're walking through a series on identity. And we're going to pause here this morning asking the question, who are we? Are we good or are we sinners? Are are, are we good or are we vile and and wretched? And we're going to ask that of of people who are without Christ, non-Christians, and we're going to ask that of Christians and, and try to navigate this journey of understanding who we are. And so starting starting over on on a non-Christian side, Jesus is teaching us that apart from God, we're evil. We don't like using that word. We would prefer to use something else because the big temptation of a non-Christian is to overestimate value, to believe that intrinsically we are good. I mean, babies are good. Babies are pure. They're born at worst neutral with a clean slate of goodness in front of them. Babies are, are just pure and precious and good. The grand temptation of a human being apart from God is to exalt self and, and think of themselves as good. If you've ever read the book Help or seen the movie Help, there's a, a scene in which Adeline, one of the nannies in the story, takes this little girl who she's trying to teach and speak into. And this little girl has, has kind of judgmental parents over her. And she feeds her and she says, come here. In Adeline's own words, she looks down at this little girl and says, you is smart. You is kind. You is important. You You is smart, you is kind, you is important. I loved that scene. I soaked it in. I went on a date recently with my bride and saw the color purple. I'm bawling in the movie of of, of statements like that of being loved in people's lives. It would seem that Jesus is saying, apart from God, that is a lie. 
that what we ought to, and I'm not saying we literally sing this song, but the, the truth would be, you is deceptive, you is selfish, you is dust. Human beings, apart from God, we, we bolster our self-image, we, 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 we lift each other up, we, we begin thinking, we, because we're created in the image of God and that's true, we are somehow special apart from him. And that's not true. It's true that every human being has a ray of goodness in them because they are created in the image of God. It's the ray of God's glory upon them, but not apart from God. And a great lie is that we somehow attribute the truths of Christ into our life without Christ. My favorite quote of, so I, I quote John sometimes by saying, hey, John said last week, and so this is out of their book. It's my favorite line of the whole book. The great lie is that we attribute the truths of Christ to ourselves without Christ. In other words, without Christ, we're good, we're beautiful, we're, 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 we're important, and we build ourselves up and we do so sometimes by comparing ourselves to other people. If we, if we gaze upon other people, it's not that hard to look, to look decent. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm not perfect, but I haven't committed murder. Or if you're in a group of murders, well, yeah, but it wasn't like first degree for me. I mean, I got life, but I didn't get the death penalty. Or on the death row, like, hey, at least I am partially innocent, not like all of these other guys. If we compare ourselves to people, it's easy perhaps to feel good. But if we gaze on the glory and purity of God, if we see him for his splendor, his radiance brighter than our eyes could grasp, his, his whiteness, there is no dark, there is no sin, there is no blemish, his absolute perfection radiating in splendor. If we gaze upon him, the darkness of our own soul ought to overwhelm us with just how manipulative, just how selfish, just how much we rationalize. Jesus is looking at this ruler saying, you've got to understand that you're sinful. If we walk through their whole conversation, it's clear he doesn't. He's like, hey, I obey the laws. I'm a good guy. Like, so what, what do I need? What else do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus is saying, you've, you've misunderstood everything. If your premise is you're a good guy. Not the case. Consider Consider a few words of scripture on the subject. These are words that we don't, I, I don't think, like to dwell on. The first, Romans chapter three. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless no one does good, not even one. Like, that's just not 2024. 
We would soften everything about that. No one's perfect. Although we are capable of great good, we don't understand everything. (laughs) We don't seek purely. Most of us turn away in part. Together... um, it's a hard one. Together, they have become worthless. Together, together we've become, well, a 6.4 out of 10. Like, not the top. We're not all the way there. But the truth of Scripture is pretty blunt. Consider the words of Ephesians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That we are more utterly sinful than we realize. We are, we are powerless to change ourselves and consumed in darkness. I mean, do you hear the, the words of that passage? It's saying we're spiritually dead, followers of Satan, because we want to fulfill our desires and our passions. We want our appetites so much so that we are children of wrath before God. It's strong. Listen listen to the words of Paul to Timothy describing humanity. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. The reason this becomes really important is this is the beginning of the gospel. If we don't grasp just how dark and depraved and wretched and lost we are, we will never cling to Jesus as our Savior. We miss it. We miss it on all kinds of levels where we skip that level. Non-Christians as a whole skip that level. You know, you can talk of lostness. I'm not that bad. I'm not there. I don't mind a little, you know, religious help in my life, but I'm not. Whoa, whoa, with the whole description of (laughs) lovers Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient. Like that might be this person, but it's not me. And so sometimes we skip it. We skip it in parenting. Now I'm not suggesting that we sit down with our children every day from birth. 
You is a lover of self. You is a lover of money. You is proud. You is arrogant. But we do need to teach and raise our children understanding depravity, understanding the darkness of our hearts. Sometimes Christians skip this entirely. And unfortunately, if Christians skip this, it's possible to live life not clinging to Christ, not desperate for Christ. So you wake up on a daily basis, you just kind of go about your way. You, you, you just forget Jesus in, in, in the background somewhere. Oh yeah, I mean, he comes up at church and here and there, now and then, maybe when you read your Bible occasionally, but life is lived on your own strength in your own way, by your own wisdom, in your own thoughts. Because after all, your own way, your own thoughts, your own wisdom isn't that bad. And if we believe it's not that bad, we'll leave Jesus behind. And the true case of Scripture is we are sinful. Look at your, look at your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. Like you can say it with more gusto than that. <laughs> you're a sinner. You're a wretch. You know, like, like, like amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You're a wretch. I'm a wretch. We're, we're a bunch of wretches. Go ahead and say, you're a wretch. <laughs> it's true. Apart from God in our lives, we're wretches. And we have to grasp that. I said a sentence earlier that we, we are more utterly sinful than we realize. It's actually part of a statement we have as a church, a value statement. The gospel, the, the, the gospel changes everything. We are more utterly sinful than we realize, but more profoundly loved than we can fathom. You see, if we don't realize our darkness, if we don't realize our depravity, our wretchedness, and our sin, we will never see the splendor of just how beautiful God's love is and what he does. For he doesn't, he doesn't leave us there. I don't want to leave us just understanding that a human being a, a, apart from God is, is a sinner, is vile, is wretched. That's, that's the identity of a human being without God. If we realize it, and we turn to Jesus. Jesus, would you save me? I treat the people I love um, poorly. Sometimes my mouth says hurtful things. I have selfishness and darkness inside of me. I can't change. Would you save me? He comes and we take off, we take off the identity of sinner and we are given the identity of saint and it's a beautiful thing. I want to dwell on just a few passages of identity in Christ's language and I want you to repeat some things with me. So first, I want you to say, if you're in Jesus, 
If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to say, I am the righteousness of God. Say, I am the righteousness of God. This assumes that person next to you is in Jesus Christ. But I, wanna, I want you to look at the person that you said earlier, you're a wretch. I want you to look and say, you are the righteousness of God. You're the righteousness of God. I mean, think, think of that statement because here's, here's the great temptations. The great temptation of the non-Christian is to over-exalt self, rank ourselves high, and think we are good. But the temptation of the Christian in Christ is to think of ourselves as worthless or low. As much as we are bashful to say we are evil and vile and disgusting to God. As, as much as those words hurt us and we don't like the word evil or wretch, we get embarrassed to use the word righteous and claim the true gift of Christ in us. Consider these words, 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Think, I mean, it's unfathomable. The righteousness of God, the splendor, the glory, the righteousness, the purity of God radiating out to all the universe. This is, this is the, the explosion that creates everything that exists. The righteousness of God. That's me. That's you in Christ. Say, say I am the righteousness of God. I am a child of God. I'm a child of God in John chapter one. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. I'm the righteousness of God. I am a child of God. Here, here's, here's a fun one. It's one of my favorite passages we're gonna walk through. Say, I am chosen. I am a royal priest. I belong to a holy nation. I am his own possession. I live in the light. Listen to 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We ought not be bashful of this identity given to us in Christ. I am forgiven. Say, I'm forgiven. I am forgiven and I am cleansed from all unrighteousness. I am, say, say, I am forgiven and I am cleansed from all unrighteousness. This is only in Christ. But 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all darkness, all guilt and shame, all unrighteousness washed away, forgiven, 
changed. I am the righteousness of God, a child of God, a royal priest, a holy nation. I am his possession. I live in the light. I am forgiven, cleansed from all unrighteousness. Say, say I am a new creation. I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, for the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I, I, I get, I get that at times we, we can struggle, say, like, okay, it says I'm a new creation, but I don't feel that new. It says I'm the righteousness of Christ, but I don't feel that righteous. We have to be able to walk in the gift of God of who he has made us. Over here, you cannot believe the lie that you're good without Christ, but here you cannot believe the lie that you are evil with Christ. Two more passages here on identity. Say, I am loved. In fact, I am secure in his love. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. The love of God in Christ Jesus for you is perfect, unconditional, and it will never be taken away. Hoorah! Hallelujah. He is molding me. He is conforming. Say, he is conforming me. Romans 8, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Two great lies. The lie of the human being apart from God thinking they're good. It is good for us to remember. But by the grace of God. So that I cling to Christ. I'm desperate for Christ. I'm needy for Christ. But in Christ, to rest in the truths and speak the truths of what he has given me and accomplished on my behalf, I'm the righteousness of God, a child of God, loved, secure in that love. Now, I don't want to pass by this without giving an invitation. It's possible to go to church and pretend you're a good person. <laughs> it's possible to read your Bibles and, and kind of fake and play the good person role. It's possible to cut the cherry pie so that everyone else gets a bigger slice than yours so you can feel good about yourself. All without Christ. And here's a, a reality statement. You cannot enter into the power of the gospel unless you first acknowledge your own depravity. 
We have to see our brokenness so that it's not, I'm going to be a good person and go to church. I'm going to be a good person and read the Bible. I'm going to be a good person and give everyone else the cherry pie. It's Jesus. I can't be the good person. I can't change my spots. I can't change my mind. I can't change my heart. And I don't want to fake it. Would you be my savior? So I'm just going to pray. And if you, if you have never surrendered to actually receive Jesus in your life, and maybe you have religion, maybe you have church, maybe you have Bible, maybe you have all kinds of other stuff to play the good person role. But maybe today is a day to bust through the good person role and say, Jesus, I confess my brokenness, my vileness. There are times I look inside and I am surprised at just how much darkness dwells inside of me. Would you wash it away? Would you shine your bright so, your light so brightly upon me that I could feel its warmth and you would well up inside and dwell in me and cast out darkness? Jesus, would you be my savior? Now, if you, if you prayed along those lines, and today, today is a genuine day to, to, to bust through and say, Jesus, I need you. Please don't leave without talking to us. At the close of the service, you're gonna hear it said that if you need prayer, please come up front. There'll be people up here. I'll be up here. If you, if you are saying, Jesus, come be my savior, I would love to pray with you. It would be an honor. I'd like to get you a Bible. I'd like to come alongside in any way possible to see you walk as a saint as you walk out of here today. Let's pray. Lord, help each one of us recognize our need for you, our desperation for you. May that be our heart's song, to live in you, to walk in you, because we do need you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing. Hey, thanks again for listening. We'd love to have you join us next week at either our Cortero location here in Tucson or at our online campus. You can find all the info at newlifetucson.com. God bless and have an amazing week.